Welcome back to a brand new episode of Demand Gen Chat. I'm your host, Tara Robertson, and I have a great guest for you today, our friend Colin. Colin White is the director of Demand Generation at Clearbit. Colin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Tara. Thanks so much for joining. We were just catching up because we actually recorded this a few months ago, had some (laughs) audio issues happening in the background. So we're catching up all over again, which is always a great excuse to do so. Absolutely, yeah. So how long have you been at Clearbit now? Um, I think it's been two and a half years at at least. I roll up on my third year in March. Oh, wow. Coming up on that. That's a big anniversary. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a long time in in SaaS, SaaS marketing, especially (laughs) usually 10 years are pretty short. Yeah, definitely true, especially in marketing. I'd love to hear. I mean, obviously, I'm sure your role has evolved since you've been there. But what are the main (laughs) KPIs that you're responsible for? right now and that your team is working on? Yeah. Um, yes, the role has changed a lot. I I joined as an IC and now um, run the demand gen team here. Um, and it's funny, the metrics, I mean, they've changed slightly over the years. Uh, generally, they're, they're the same. Um, we report on, you know, SAOs, sales accepted opportunities, and the pipeline generated out of those. The way those have been defined over the past couple of years uh, are a little bit different, but um, it's essentially been the same since I I started. Um, And then the other sort of leading indicator is the number of, um, you know, in um, quality leads or ICP leads we have from, you know, accounts that we score well. Yeah. And we'll get into lead scoring in a little bit. So I'll save my questions around that. Um, But I'm curious, we're obviously heading into Q4 in a little Mm -hmm. bit here. So how do you as a team decide these are the key metrics or these are the KPIs that we really want to focus on? Or is it always those sales accepted ops and qualified ops? Um, Usually always the same. And so we share, we share that metric with our our sales org uh, on the SDR and BDR side too. So we're sort of both gold towards creating pipeline and opportunities for the account exec team on the new business side. Um, so those are changing, but the the things uh, that make up that number do change, you know, based on what we're investing in, whether that's um, a specific type of content or education, or if it's, you know, an investment, a new investment in, you know, in-person events or something like that, the, the makeup of the goal changes um, mm-hmm. as we go on. And then, you know, if we're rolling out a new, like a brand new program, we'll make a judgment call on, on how much makeup of that number it'll, you know, it'll uh, take, but, um, you know, sometimes that's just a, a gut feel guess on the marketing side. And there's sort of this, um, you know, I don't know what to call it, science and and not science between, you know, how we're thinking about our goals and how the revenue operations and finance team is thinking about our goals, right? They're very, very specific and mm-hmm. ha- like the makeup of the goal. And we're sort of a little bit, you know, we still forecast, we do all those things, but we're a little bit more feely uh, in terms of how, <laughs> you know, as marketers, we are, we are a little bit more on the gut feeling side sometimes um, with where mm-hmm. we'll make up the goal. But when we look at like the success of marketing overall, it, it still ends up being that overall, you know, pipeline or SAO number driven from marketing. Um, but sort of the makeup of how we get there, yes, RevOps sets that at, at the outset, but it doesn't matter if we, 
you know, have 10% more over here versus 10% less over there. As long as we hit that overall goal, everyone is very happy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of marketers talk about that as kind of the making bets part of marketing, where yeah. if we if we listen to the, everything the RevOps folks had to say, maybe we'd hit our targets, but we wouldn't take those big swings. So we kind of have to think outside the box sometimes. Yeah. And it can be hard taking the big swings too, especially when you're under pressure to produce. Right. And, and, you know, we're forecasting out of, um, what's worked in the past and then telling our RevOps team and our finance team, like, look, we think we'll produce this when we invest this amount of money here. Um, but again, like you said, that's only going to get you uh, almost a linear and not even linear mm -hmm. because, you know, return usually diminishes as you go in a specific program or a specific way of, um, yeah, marketing. Um, so you have to try and take those big bets, but it can be hard. Um, and honestly, mm -hmm. you know, again, being here for a couple of years, especially through the pandemic and COVID, and now we're sort of in a market downturn, um, it can be even harder to, to decide to take those swings. Um, and we've gone through periods where we didn't, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And you can, you can tell growth stagnates <laughs> when that happens, essentially. Shown, right? Yeah, or more budget goes less far, mm -hmm. you know, because returns do diminish, especially in digital advertising. So that's, that's the thing. Um, and we're actually, it's funny because our Q4 starts at the beginning of November. So we're now going through this process of like, okay, what are the big bets, right? What are we actually going to try and, and push that's new and, you know, innovative for our team um, versus what is that, you know, stable sort of stepped approach. Um, so we're trying to figure out both right now. Mm -hmm. And is there anything that you've seen at Clearbit or maybe something you do yourself that helps the team kind of, I guess it's feel safe <laughs> to bring those big bet type of ideas? Because I can, I've definitely been on marketing teams where it felt very much like we were told that we wanted big, crazy ideas, but then those ideas would get shot down <laughs> once you're actually in that meeting, right? So how do you create that kind of safe environment for the team? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and to be honest, I think we've, we've missed a little bit of it. Uh, the past little while, um, where again, like, you know, market downturn, COVID, all that stuff makes you feel like mm -hmm. you have this financial obligation to like be very sturdy and structured <laughs> with everything. And so it can be, it can be really hard. I think the the ideation and, you know, sort of innovation culture on a marketing team is, is really important. Um, we do go through a process, which I think helps in, in a lot of ways, um, called ice scoring. Uh, especially around, you know, planning time. So concept being you throw like any idea at the wall, not any idea, like, you know, it should be formed and have, <laughs> have, have some opinion and, and maybe some data backed insight. And even if it doesn't have data backed insight, like, you know, a really good feeling. Um, and then as a team, we take all of those ideas and we, we score it on, uh, impact, confidence, and ease. Um, and with those three sort of metrics on a, you know, on a slider, we can look at what the overall score output is and get a sense of, you know, okay, where, where should we invest? And sometimes it comes out that, you know, a really high score will have huge impact, but, um, it would be really hard. And that score comes out on top still because the impact could be so high. And if we're all voting as a team, like it ends up sort of being a democracy, right? Because you're voting as, as a team and mm -hmm. 
if the score comes out on top, that means the entire team believes in it, right? And if so you're the entire all voting team believes on that it, score, exactly. So so we'll we'll take all of the ideas, put them in a spreadsheet, row by row, and then each individual on the team will go and vote on impact, confidence, and ease, um, and then we'll basically average those those numbers, those scores, and get the output from sort of the democratized voting <laughs> system. Um, and, you know, the, I think the other big thing with it is if the entire team believes in something, which really you can get out of this, um, everyone's sort of involved and passionate about making it work too. So it's not just like, hey, you know, I'm your boss. <laughs> you know, I told you to do the thing. Here's the list of things I came up with them all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a voting system. So everyone's, you know, involved in planning as well. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. We're starting to do that with our, mostly just on the CRO side to prioritize experiments exactly. because yeah. I find it's one of the easiest ways that people have so many ideas without realizing like, maybe we shouldn't test every single thing because the impact yeah. is not always going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, so it is it is really hard sometimes to uh, score things that are are so new or so different um, on the team or things that are sort of very abstract. You know, you're talking about how CRO, you know, conversion rate, anything is a little bit easier because there are a ton of ideas. And then you sort of whittle them down based on what you believe the impact is going to be. Um, but with something like an event or a trade show, it's sort of this big hairy confusing item and it's also hard for the entire team to like grok the information uh, about the event and understand why we would want to make the investment and then make those calls and so sometimes it's it's funny as the team has grown on the marketing side we i'll say this we used to ice score amongst the entire team now it might just be subsets of team members who have sort Mm -hmm. of like the same general theme of responsibility um, so it might not be the entire team, you know, like we might not have field marketing, um, weigh in on conversion rate optimization, but we'll have our web developer and our performance marketer and our marketing operations, um, you know, person go and measure or, uh, imp- input on zero. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of become subgroupings as we've, yeah, as we've grown. Yeah. I think that's a natural way to do it. I mean, the last thing you want is the whole marketing team having to score, like which yeah. trade show should we go to next year? And, <laughs> you know, like it ends up being a lot, person. a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, it's not just like the thirty that we had, uh, and thirty still a lot. But I remember, <laughs> like in twenty twenty or something, we had something like thirty that we were scoring um, and reading and understanding, wow. like all of the concepts. So it was a lot, um, but it it does work. Uh, I think it works really well for smaller teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And how do, I know you guys talk a lot in just like your content in general about things like your TAM and just figuring out how big your market is, Mm -hmm. establishing your ICPs. How do those fit into your ICE framework, if at all? Or is that more of the person running that program has to consider these things? Um, Yeah, I think it's, it's more foundational than anything. So, you know, when we're, when we're thinking about any new concept or idea or thing to prioritize, we're always thinking about it in in the sense of like, you know, how does this work within our ideal customer profile? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what is the purpose? Will this engage more of our market? Or will this, you know, 
educate folks who already know about Clearbit, who are in our ICP. It's just a, a frame of reference instead of something you're sort of thinking about with ideating, right? Um, so like an example might be on going that like trade show or event route, you know, we might ask like, hey, we're looking for uh, like these five criteria points because they, you know, define our ICP. Can you tell me what percentage of the the normal attendees or registrants might be in that grouping, right? And then we can mm -hmm. start to understand like, okay, well, how many how many people will we actually uh, interact with who fit our ICP versus not, right? It's it's a different frame of reference around essentially targeting. Um, when it comes to something like CRO, it you know a little bit less, um, unless you're talking about sort of the personalization end where you might want to personalize for subsets of your ICP so that you increase conversion rates for them. But again, mm -hmm. it gives you a frame of reference to really think about what you're doing, right? It's not increased conversion rate for everybody. It's increased conversion rate for the people you care about, right? And mm -hmm. th that can be drastically different because, you know, we get a lot of web traffic, but a lot of it is not people we actually want to sell to um, or, or even who could buy our product and implement it well and get value. Um, so we're sort of always framing what we're doing based on that versus, mm. yeah, like individually per project thinking about it. Yeah. And when you, when you think about that, I don't even know what to call it. I don't want to say unqualified traffic because that sounds bad, but bad. That, I know. that group of traffic that everybody gets, that's people say job hunting, it's students poking around your site. It's people that are maybe at a two person startup who just aren't ready for your tool. Mm -hmm. How do you think about kind of excluding those people from your experiments when you're doing something like zero. Do you guys have a process for that? Um, yes and no. Uh, for, for some things, yes. But a lot, of, a lot of what we actually end up looking at is, you know, did, it con did whatever we just did convert to a qualified lead, right? So when we're looking, right. like, we don't ever really talk about our all- lead number or form fill number or anything like that we're only talking about qualified so folks that we consider you know would that would be able to buy our product essentially if it are icp um mm -hmm. so when we're talking about like experiment lift or, or anything like that we're talking about lift on icp number not lift on lead number and it's it's mm -hmm. only one step further in the qualification process but it's a valuable step because you know like essentially, I think it's right now around 50, 50 to 60% of our overall leads are actually qualified, right? So mm -hmm. you're kind of missing out on those 40%, essentially. Yeah. But yeah. if you made a, a call on a test based on those 40%, exactly. You'd be very happy yeah. in a couple Yeah, months. exactly. You know, yeah. so it can give you, it can give you false positives um, when you mm -hmm. shouldn't have them. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I feel like a lot of people I talk to are in that boat where they want to do more CRO, they want to test things, but they're just kind of just starting to do things like traffic exclusions and Yeah. 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 And we are lucky, like our our product allows for a lot of that. You know, we have uh, you know, IP mm -hmm. lookup um as a product, clearbit reveal. And so we can sort of exclude folks that we can't identify that don't fit our ICP. Um in the test, or mm -hmm. we can sort of just remove those out of any conversions that we actually do track on the website. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I know we were talking a little bit about kind of just Q4 planning in general, but I'm curious now that you're leading a team, how do you help, or maybe it's top down, but I don't think it is. <laughs> um, but how do you help the individuals on your team kind of set goals and OKRs, targets, whatever you want to call them, that actually like they can impact on the individual level? Um, I mean, it is a little bit tops down. Uh, like I think it, it's sort of, ha- I mean, it has to be, uh, when we talk about yeah. like our SAO or pipeline goal, um, you know, that is coming from For sure. finance with a little bit of song and dance from us saying like, well, you know, we forecast that we can hit, you know, 80% <laughs> of what you told us that you need. And mm-hmm. like, is there any flexibility there? Like, you know, it's the song and dance of, of, uh, forecasting and, and goal setting from their side. Um, so firstly, I try to make sure that every person has a goal that can roll into uh, like pipeline. That's very important. Um, so mm-hmm. either like a, a person is owning um, like a program, like a whole program where they would have a pipeline number. So, you know, we expect X from Y. Um, or in the case of something like CRO or marketing operations, they have projects um, or metrics that roll up into those numbers. And maybe talking about like marketing ops is an interesting um, one to pick on because it can be hard mm-hmm. to put sort of a number against their role. But uh, as an example, right now, um, Merce on our team is working on updating our scoring models and both simplifying and, and making them easy to understand, but then also um, focusing on, on making sure that we're getting the most out of, uh, how we score. Right. So, um, when he looks at his, um, you know, objectives and, and KRs, he's saying like, you know, this project that I'm working on, which is a big hefty thing scoring, um, how can I impact pipeline out of scoring? Right. And he's now taken the approach of, you know, we're going to make sure we have our core model and then the ones that are sort of taking the fringe folks and making sure that we're at least thinking about the fringe, the fringe people that might not be perfectly in our ICP, but have elements of that and, you know, getting those into the system so that we can actually you know, engage with them and, and talk with them correctly. Um, and overall, that's going to increase the, the amount of qualified leads that the SDRs and BDRs talk to and overall increase pipeline. Right. And so his, mm-hmm. He ends up having a metric that is tied directly to it. Um, although some of the KRs are still going to be like backlog project completion rate or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you, know? you just have to work through some stuff in ops. <laughs> it's just like kind of Yeah, hard. exactly, exactly. But if you have at least one KR that rolls into sort of that key metric for the entire team, I think that's sort of one important factor across everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right that that's a tough role where I feel like it ends up being a to-do list a lot of the time when yeah, you see your it's, KRs. It's like, oh, not the yeah, most Yeah, it's how to, how to make it not a to-do list is very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's the sort of the big swing projects that make it not. Um, so it is something big and hairy to focus on that does have impact overall. And you can see it very easily versus like, you know, I did 10 backlog projects that increased productivity <laughs> on the marketing team by 5%. And, you know, that's not as easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense to make them, especially it's one of those roles. I know you mentioned turnover earlier, (laughs) just really quickly, but it's a crucial role on the team that you don't want them going anywhere. So to give them really important projects that everybody can get excited about is 
even more important. For yeah. The institutional knowledge that a marketing ops person holds is um, immense. And I know <laughs> that I was marketing ops prior to doing demand gen. And yeah. I know when I, like I spent two weeks just trying to write documents whenever I left a company because all of the processes were in my head, which is, you know, bad documentation on my end, but also that's just but what it happens. happens when it's one person. <laughs> yeah. When it's one person and you're at a startup and you're trying to do all the things. And yeah, so it, it is, it is very hard. Um, so make your marketing ops folks happy, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we actually just hired, <laughs> we just hired our first marketing ops, which is a little bit crazy, <laughs> um, but I'm realizing uh, how much is in my head too. You just don't oh, take it for granted. The things you just totally. kind of do, right? Totally. Yeah. We held off on marketing ops too for quite a long time. Um, Merce, who's on, on the team now, he started just back in uh, March. Um, mm. And, you know, it went two years of my life here without uh, marketing mm. ops and even longer before that. Uh, and we were quite a large team before we had the, the function. But um, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one for sure. And how did you manage things like lead scoring without <laughs> marketing ops? Because that's uh, one area that we've just kind of very simplified and not worried about up until now because, again, small team. Yeah, <laughs> I, we, we, were in a, we're in a, we were in a special position. We had three people and we still have a bunch of people on the team who are ex-marketing operations, have gone on mm. to do other uh, other work. So while we didn't have an official person, we sort of all band-aided the entire system together uh, as like a second mm. job. And we had, you know, three people do separate pieces of the function. Um, honestly, that was like maybe a mistake. One, because it took us a long time to actually do the work, right? Because we weren't mm. involved in it all the time. Um, and then two, because it was three people, like things weren't perfectly aligned across all the systems and mm -hmm. it did become a pain but yeah so we were in a very lucky position um and then secondly i'll call out we use um a company called mad kudu which does uh machine le learning based scoring models and so they have you know a, a great support team um cs team and a consulting team that we use mm -hmm. uh, a lot um so yeah that 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 helped out from our end um so that we didn't have to manually create the rule set and sort of constantly be tweaking. Uh, and honestly, like I, I don't really believe in creating a manual lead scoring system. I think human bias has too much impact in how you set stuff up. Um, so you using, yeah, machines to do it is probably the best way. Um, and actually it's funny I say that because now we have a mix of both. The model that Merce worked on uh, this past quarter was half human, half machine-based so like we set some rules mm -hmm. especially for new segments that we're going after that we haven't historically you know either done well in or even engaged with and then also the model picks up sort of the the rest that we miss mm -hmm. as a manually made scoring model I'm curious how that'll perform for you because I feel like that context that a human <laughs> provides is obviously super important but I also see your point on like the biases could be yeah so there. and it's to be to be clear too like we only score out of that system on the uh, like company or contact quality we don't mm. score based on the engagement they've had with us um and so we use we use people to do that part like when should i engage this person it's the person's choice essentially which 
works and also has challenges. Uh, it's a lot of education <laughs> for, for the team. Um, but the scoring model is really just looking at like, is this company a good fit or how good of a fit is this company based on historics? How mm. good of a contact right. is this based on historics? And then gives us sort of like a prioritization model from the quality perspective, but not from the activity or engagement perspective, like a normal MQL might. Gotcha. Yeah, I feel like that's where the biases can really come in is when yeah. I'm running programs that I'm also setting engagement yeah. scoring. Yeah. You can be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this event, this tricky. event was really important. Like yeah, it was really, really important. It's just yeah. <laughs> killing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I worked a really hard time on this landing page. It is worth it. Guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Plus 10 points for the space. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there is something to be said about having, like, if you are rolling out an engagement scoring model, having someone like marketing ops who, again, humans are biased, but they're not as biased as like the person running the programs that you're driving. Yeah. To, so. Yeah. And that's the other, like, if, if your ops team uh, or person, individual, uh, <laughs> is the person owning it and they don't own the programs, they're, I mean, yeah they're in it to make the best version of the model or the best version mm -hmm. of the system um, and to produce the most pipeline out of what they have, the most productivity out of what they have. So yeah, if, you, if you're just like a demand gen marketer, <laughs> making your score up and passing it to sales, being like, look at all my great leads, uh, like maybe not the best. Yeah, that's the problem at startups. I feel like you end up doing both roles <laughs> a lot of the time. And then we, that's why a lot of us have said like, we'll lead scoring isn't working for me because yeah like in my exact experience in past roles yeah it's funny like the mql is dead sort of talk track um mm -hmm. i don't think the mql is dead necessarily it, you're going to call it something else it's just that we've used mql poorly as marketers for a long time because we've created these manually uh biased uh scoring models that say this is an mql uh when maybe it actually isn't right Right. And then when you're the sales rep that has to call that person, <laughs> they exactly. don't agree that they're an MQL. So they're like, why are exactly. you calling? Exactly. Exactly. So just switching gears a little bit, I'd love to chat about, obviously, you have a lot of experience on the paid social side, just paid ads in general. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us have been talking about just budgets being tighter right now. Hopefully it's a short term thing, but no one really knows. Is there anything you're seeing that's maybe <laughs> promising in all of this. I feel like there's a lot of bad news going around right now. So I'm trying to find, <laughs> trying to find the, <laughs> promising the notes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, honestly, for us, at least the clear bit mm -hmm. side, things haven't changed that drastically um, for us. I think, you know, the summer was a little bit tough. Um, Overall, I think sort of everybody felt that in some way, shape, or form. Um, but partially because we measure our marketing team up against, um, you know, pipeline generation overall versus individual campaign performance, um, mm -hmm. that ends up helping a lot. So we're not actually looking at like, you know, the success of one Google ad campaign, we're looking at the success of the marketing budget up against the overall marketing generated pipeline, even from mm -hmm. organic and direct and, and all of the, you know, non-attributable. Um, so that ends up helping us a lot when we look at performance. So nothing really to call out, unfortunately, uh, on my side, I'd say it's almost normal. 
uh, for us. <laughs> that's a <laughs> good thing. Weird. I mean, I feel like yeah, I mean, it's a good so thing. panicky. So that's, it's a good thing. Yeah. I will say that, you know, conversion rates have dropped. It is definitely harder to connect with folks uh, like book meetings from any mm-hmm. source, not just, you know, ones that are a little bit more peripheral and not a hand raise. Even hand raises we found, you know, like demo requests have been harder to connect with. Um, and it just feels like people are sort of mm, tire kicking a little bit um, when they're browsing software now, or it takes a lot more for someone to actually engage because they know it's going to go to their CFO, right? It's not just going mm-hmm. to their, you know, their boss or their manager. It's going all the way up the chain. Um, even myself, I felt that, you know, some of our processes have changed and now there's a few more layers of approval and I'm more wary on, you know, well, what, you know, what do I request or even how do mm. I position this request? Um, like I need to make sure that everything is dialed in a little bit more, even, even if we're reporting at the overall number, um, like finance is just a little bit more tough, uh, today, mm-hmm. which, you know, isn't a bad thing overall. It's just makes a little bit more work for me than, you know, a year ago, but yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's not, that's not all bad. I think, <laughs> no. um, I think being careful with the tools we buy can help in the long run, obviously, because you don't end up with like a very bloated. We've spent uh, a long time paring down our tools over the mm. past year. Like we were bloated a year and a half ago and mm-hmm. we've like, yeah, we still buy sometimes duplicates uh, and we don't even know it. <laughs> Uh, and finance is and is that across me. different teams that you're buying the duplicates? No, or and it's across mark, just marketing uh, yeah. still. But it's because you know Clearbit's been around for quite a long time. We've had team transitions, new people right. coming in, people leaving. You never know, right? Um, so that that's sort of been yeah a, a process for us. Speaking of marketing ops too, it's been something that they've been <laughs> trying to do. It's like you know, do we need uh, SEM Rush and Ahrefs, or can we just use one? Uh, one, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but it's like so. this one person on the team preferred this tool, but they're not Exa- here anymore. Exactly, and, or like you right. got one extra metric out of the other tool, so you bought it anyway, and mm-hmm. you don't even use it anymore. But that was the original reason, and sort of everyone's afraid to turn it off because they don't know, <laughs> they don't know what, what it works <laughs> like on. Yeah, sorry, my yeah. hand, my hand gestures. <laughs> like of, sorry for everyone listening to just the audio, but uh, I'm worried. That's hand the afraid face. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm curious because you mentioned events a little bit earlier too, but how is event follow-up going for you guys? Did you attend any of the big ones last month or in September, I should say? Yeah, it's funny. We So we did. Um, we actually uh, sponsored a bunch of stuff with uh, y'all at Chili Piper. Um, and so far, so good. Um, you know, it's funny. It was our first time being out in person, uh, I think even since I joined. And, I will, you know, I joined a week before COVID essentially hit the mm-hmm. States, um, you know, like borders <laughs> locked down on day seven for me or something. Um, so that it's been funny going, going there. Uh, overall, so far, so good, you know, for us, I think it's more about brand recognition now than, um, you know, driving direct meetings out of a lot of these things, especially when you consider it's like something like a, an after hours party or something like that. Mm. Um, it's not necessarily about booking meetings. One interesting insight that I had is that like, we ended up having a lot of people just yell across the the conference room f- floor, I'm putting that in quotes, because a lot of these were outside, uh, just noticing our logo. 
And it's not something you feel online. You don't feel like, you know, the person coming up and being like, oh my God, you know, I'm a, I'm a customer or I'm a user or I love your product. I've used you at three of my last jobs and I buy you. You're the first tool that, that I, I buy <laughs> when I join. Um, you don't feel that online. It's very hard. Uh, mm -hmm. Even through like listening to gong calls, everyone's in their little like Zoom box uh, and it, no one's excited about <laughs> anything. Uh, so that's that's one tidbit that across our whole team felt very, very good, right? Because it's, you just, you feel it a little bit more than on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I believe that we, I couldn't make it out to any events this year. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. um, yeah. But we actually had a lot of great video content come out of it, which was a lot of it was honestly just organic, which I don't know if it mm -hmm. comes out across that way. But a lot of it was what you're saying: a customer would walk by, or someone who likes us would walk by, and we'd be like, "Can you repeat that on camera? Yeah. Can you say that again?" Yeah. And exactly. I think because people are just anxious and anxious to be out of the house and happy to be with people, people were so willing to be on camera yeah. and to do that stuff. Yeah. Which, it surprised me honestly. I don't know that I would have been as eager yeah. to do that if I was just walking by. <laughs> but. Just, yeah. Just even to come over and chat, everyone like seemed mm -hmm. very happy. Yeah. I, I did um, one of our booths in San Francisco and like being the demand gen team uh, and then mm -hmm. obviously selling to a lot of demand gen folks uh, at Clearbit, having customers come up and we just talk shop. Everyone was very, like very into just coming over and, and talking instead of, you know, the mm -hmm. normal like That's sales so pitch at a booth or something. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun from, from my end, uh, just hearing from folks out in the wild who are excited about the company I work at. Um, yeah, it's a good feeling. Yeah. That's nice to come home with those feelings. <laughs> Must feel really yeah. good. Yeah, exactly. It definitely, uh, re-ups the, re-ups the energy, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And have you had any challenges kind of, I don't want to say justifying, but kind of proving out the ROI of these events, knowing that for, again, to your point, a lot of them, you're not going to come home with hundreds of meetings booked, but they cost as much as like booking hundred <laughs> meetings online, maybe. So how do you kind of reconcile that when it comes to planning and yeah, finances? Um, well, we'll see because we just did our first bunch of them in September. Yeah, it's early. Uh, now. So we're yeah, we're still we're still waiting a, a hot minute to do the official reporting on them. But the initial parts of some of this um were really that like the the talk track and and honestly the experience was that we we got to talk to people who probably would never fill out a form and and raise their hand. You know, like e either at big companies or at current customers where they have five different product lines and, uh, you know, they've seen our name in their master data system, big warehouse thing, uh, but they've just never been able to ask or figure out like how the product is used. And so mm -hmm. it, it was a much less, um, it was a much more frictionless way for them to come and engage in a conversation around like, what is Clearbit um, at sort of these really important logos for us, really important companies. Um, and we just know that they would never, they'd probably never fill out a form, right? And mm -hmm. and we also know that because we just don't get demo requests from the company at all, right? <laughs> yeah, there's so some big just, ones that you're just never going to see them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, like just yeah. just being able to to talk to someone at the organization is a big deal for some of our sales team. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other thing that uh, we've done is, um, yeah, really just engage the sales team afterwards and sort of bring their stories forward 
in terms of, you know, maybe this isn't direct ROI, but hey, you know, I I talked to three prospects who are in open conversations and, you know, I was able to move two deals forward. Um, and that's never going to show up or it'll barely show up in an influence report or something like that. But every deal matters and it's really important. Um, mm -hmm. And it could be the key, the key thing that pushed it over the line. And so hearing the stories from the sales folks that were at these events are, are some of the more important things too that we're trying to promote while we sort of wait on that influence number or, mm -hmm. you know, the other metrics that we're looking at for these events. Um, but those are, those are some of the ways that we're thinking about it, at least on our side, um, especially when it comes to like, yeah, off trade show floor uh, type stuff, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, no, I think that's great feedback, especially if you can get the sales team to sing the praises of an event, because marketing can say all day, like, oh, we talked mm -hmm. to all these great companies, but for a sales rep to do that goes even further. So that's a great way exactly. to Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Great. Well, I'm just going to move on to our quick fire round. So just a couple sure. more questions for you, Colin. I know we're running short on time. Um, yeah. So first, is there another marketer you follow that our listeners should go check out and give them a follow? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll call it Nick Bennett at Alice uh, because we've been doing these events. He is definitely uh, an awesome event marketer um, and doing even more now. So definitely have been following along with him and uh, chatted with him a couple of times about it while we move into doing these. Yeah. Great. And is there an under the radar channel or could be a tactic that your team is either loving right now or just kind of starting to play around with? Ooh, yeah. When we originally did this, because we're re-recording, I think I said webinars. <laughs> yeah, you can have two. <laughs> um, I think I said webinars, uh, virtual mm -hmm. events, if you will. Um, I still think that they can work, though the summer had uh, a lull and we're just starting mm -hmm. to kick back up. But we were driving a lot of pipeline honestly, out of webinar, uh, live webinars, not even on demand or anything like that. So um, I'm still going to use that as my answer. I think <laughs> webinars <laughs> webinars are not dead uh, and they, they are definitely alive and, and producing. Great. And lastly, where can we go to follow you? What channels are you most active on? Uh, yeah, I'm, I am not an active social media anything. But if you do want to follow me, LinkedIn is the best. Uh, just search Colin White Clearbit and you'll find me. Um, it's probably the best way to do it. And I'm sure that the link will be in the, pro, uh, the description of the podcast. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, it'll be in there. Don't worry. <laughs> and we'll link for Nick's too, just in case people aren't following him. But I'm sure most people yes. are. <laughs> yes, yes. He's everywhere right now. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Colin. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tara. It was great to chat. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode.